So, uh, so family and fellowship, right? We talked last time uh, in Welcome Home. I made the comment, family is the smallest form of government in America, right? That's why it's under such attack by the governments and by the enemy, right? And what I said is what happens in your house matters more than what happens in the White House, okay? What you guys do and what you cultivate and the morals and, and, and the things that you do, your, your observance of God and his ways and uh, training up your children and things, like don't leave that to the government or other people to do because they will, okay? And then we'll find ourselves where we are. So I believe that God is drawing families out. He's drawing leaders. He's calling back to families and telling people, like, we need to get serious about taking over our families and leading our families and leading our communities by becoming many families. And many families become a community of people resembling Christ, and then they become a state and a state and a nation and a nation and a world. So it's a grassroots thing. But what happens in your house truly, truly matters. Family absolutely matters. They're going to be the ones that are ride or die. They're going to be there for you when they need you the most. They're going to be the ones that jump into a mess that everyone else will run from. And fellowship, right? What's fellowship? Fellowship is getting together. Fellowship is the ecclesia, the body of Christ, a body of believers. Together, we are very, very strong. We are all uniquely uh, anointed. We are created to do great and mighty things in the kingdom of God. And together, there is nothing that can stop us because there's nothing that can stop the Holy Spirit. Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Okay, that's a promise. That's something that we get to be a part of and I want to be a part of that. So uh, going into family and fellowship, I'll give you the drop here. We're going to go into 2 Samuel. Uh, it's going to be 12, and we're going to start verse 15. It's the death of David's son. Um, so if you're a flipper or a scroller, you can get to there uh, first. But what I want to tell you is I'm here talking about family, and I'm talking about fellowship, but I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. Right? I'm just figuring this out. I am 41 years old with a nine-month-old son. I've been married three years. Right? Like, telling you about family. Like, I'm learning on the job. I was talking to Rich just before this. Every day is on the job training, and the minute I think I figured it out, it changes. So I'm here to tell you about family, but really, I'm probably many, many decades behind in knowledge and experience than many of you. So I'm relying solely on the Holy Spirit to speak to you because I've got really no experience in this at all. <laughs> so, but what I do know is that the word of God is absolute. And when I go for, and I need information and instruction and leadership, I go to the word of God because the word of God is the only thing that's going to teach me how to be the man that I need to be, the leader that I need to be, the husband, all these things. So the Lord actually dropped a couple uh, passages on me this week and they were heavy. 
And again, I say this every time I'm up here, the peril of preaching is, is he works on you first. And then it filters through you and you get to share what he's showing you. The Lord works with me because I'm hard-headed, I'm stubborn, and I'm a little rebellious. He's a velvet vice. He puts me in a velvet vice. He loves me and he squeezes me and he loves me and he squeezes me. And I learned the hard way. But um, he dropped a couple passages on me that I want to share with you about the character of the people of God and how they will help us become very strong in family and in fellowship. Also, I want you to know, if you don't hear anything else today, and if you don't write anything down, that's fine. But what you need to know is that we serve a God of futures. Amen. We serve a God who actively creates and ordains futures for us. It says in Jeremiah, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a hope and a future and to bring you to a glorious end. You serve a living God. You serve a powerful God. And you serve a God who has thought of every single thing for you, for your future, to bring him glory and honor and to exalt his son, Jesus Christ. Right? So when you get in a line with that, and you realize that you have a future, you have power. And you also start to get a little bit more control on where you're going in life. You have a future and you serve a God of futures. And I want to show you in this where the Lord kind of stopped me and arrested me and showed me that he is with me and that I have to choose the future that he has for me rather than my current situation or what I'm experiencing. So I would ask you um, to join me. Here, I'm going to set this up just a little bit. David, we're talking about the giant slayer. He unified the kingdom of Israel. This is an anointed shepherd chosen by God to lead. David is great. I kind of geek out on David. Uh, I love... Uh, I love reading about him and the highs and the lows and all of the stuff is just raw heart pouring out to God. But we got David here. He's, he's done great and mighty things up to this point. And there's this one spot in here in chapter 11, and it says it happened in the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, that David stayed home. So it happened. That's the beginning. You're like, uh-oh, what has David done? So we all know what happened. David stayed back when all the kings, he's had mighty success on the battlefield. He's had victory after victory after victory. God has blessed David and anointed him and set so many of his enemies into his hands. And he chose to kick back, kind of let the mission carry on without him, and he found himself laying in bed at home when he comes up to a roof and sees a beautiful woman bathing, right? We know that. That was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He sees her. Uh, they commit adultery. They, David goes on to try to cover up his sin, and he goes to great lengths to try to avoid what he knows.
bottom. He is a leader of a kingdom of Israel, and he has done a treacherous, treacherous thing. In, in uh, verse 27, it says, the thing that David had done has displeased the Lord. I looked that up in the Greek. Displeased actually is translated to was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it was also worthy of evil punishment, death. David, in that culture, what they both did, they deserved death for what they've done. But God sends Nathan, the, the prophet Nathan, to David. And he confronts him. And we know the parable. He tells David, he's like, hey, there's a rich man. He's got a bunch of lambs. And there's a poor man that has one. But the rich man takes the poor man's one lamb and he uses it for his feast and his sacrifice. And David loses his mind. He's like, are you kidding me? Who would do that? He deserves to be punished and pay back fourfold. And Nathan says, you fool, it's you. You're the, you are the rich man that took from the poor man, meaning Uriah. And in that moment, David is absolutely wrecked. He's wrecked by the Lord. He feels the conviction, and he knows that what he has done is terrible. He's, he's a leader of a nation who's failed morally. He's failed his friend. He's, he's led Bathsheba. I mean, it takes two to tango, but like he's a king. If you say no to a king, you die. So he has led her in. He is he's destroyed and it says in here at the end, Nathan's warning is, is you will bring ruin for your stupidity and your sin to you, to your family, and all of your nation. So where I want to go with this is choices matter. Choices matter. Choices can ruin you. Sin finds you, it grinds you, or it finds you, it binds you, and it grinds you. I heard that once. Your choices can destroy your life. They can destroy your family's life, and they can destroy your, your whole community, okay? But God, all right? So, so the, the moral of this, I don't want to grind in too deep that, like, you can destroy a lot of things. But let's face it, real life is messy. Doing life on life with people is messy. It's hard, and, and like, it's super uncomfortable, and, and we find ourselves in very low places. And we've done things that have wounded people. We have been wounded by the choices of other people. There, people have done things that have led to absolute ruin. And it got me thinking about families, right? Because that's what we're talking about. How many families live in shame because of something somebody did? How many families, and I swear... If everyone closed their eyes and I said, raise your hand if you've got something in your past that you wish no one would ever talk about again, I guarantee you we'd all be like, right? Like, it's crazy. We hurt people, hurt people. People that aren't following God hurt people. People that aren't honoring what God has for their future. People that aren't seeking a future with Christ tend to sit still, do stupid things, and they bring destruction to themselves, their family, and their nation, ultimately, or the kingdom of God. So in this, Nathan has convicted him. 
David has given it up. He is literally repentant. He's crying out to the Lord. Uh, if you want to write this down, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are actually the records of repentance over this sin with Bathsheba. So when you read those, you can hear his heart bleeding out to God. And those are very powerful psalms, by the way. So when you read those, you'll be like, look, this dude really felt it. He knew that he had led his nation astray, that a leader had failed his people, right? So where we're going to jump in is 15. It says, then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to them to rise up from the ground, but he would not, nor would he eat the food with them. Uh, give me one moment, sorry. So the elders of the house went with him to rise up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child's dead? He may do us some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, Yes, he is dead. Verse 20, the transition. So David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And then he went to his house. And when he requested, they set the food before him and he ate. And the servant said to him, what is this that you've done? You fasted, you wept for a child while he was alive. But now that he's dead, you've arose and you just eat food. And he said, when the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child may live? But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Shall I go to him? But he shall not return to me. So that's not a feel-good story. I'm sorry. But there are disastrous consequences to sin. Always. And in this case, they don't, leave anything on the table here. Like David was grieving. This was his child. He sinned. He made a terrible mistake, but he was repentant, but that was still his child. And he loved that child and he grieved and he begged the Lord to reverse whatever he had done. But you got to remember there's pre-covenant and there's, uh, there's pre-covenant and there's the old covenant, and new covenant. We have Jesus Christ. We have the blood of Jesus Christ covering every stupid thing we do. Okay, it doesn't give you a license to sin, but I'm telling you there is grace and forgiveness and love and the price has been paid so that you can move on. Amen. Old covenant, that hadn't happened yet. Something had to die. Sin required judgment. And this was the judgment of the Lord. But what I, am, what I wanna share out of just this quick passage is that in that moment, we've all been there. What do you do when the wheels fall off? What do you do when somebody's failed you? What do you do when you've completely failed? David got up 
uncharacteristic. I, when I first read this, I'm like, he doesn't even care. He just, he just faked grieving, and then he just gets up and cleans his body off, whatever. You know what it is? David was an anointed shepherd. He was a giant slayer. He was the king of Israel. Every day was on the job training for David. And the Holy Spirit, God, spoke to him and led him through his whole entire journey up until this point. David knew in that moment who he was in God. And he believed in that moment in the future that God had for him more than clinging to the past that was there to destroy him. He laid on the ground. He was down and out. And in that moment, he could have given up. He could have said enough's enough. And I'll remind you that the enemy is here to steal every single minute he can get out of your life because you only have a puff of smoke in the eyes of eternity. Some of us more than others, some of us less than others. We have no idea. But you know what? The enemy is here to rob you of every single second of that life. If he can get you looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, gossiping, spending your money, addicted to whatever, drinking, gambling, whatever, you are wasting your time and you are not pursuing the future that God has for you. And the enemy knows that the best place he can get you is when you're down in the dirt and feeling like garbage. Remember in Job... I always point this out. In Job, the devil walked into heaven. He, he approached the throne. And, and God said to him, have you considered my servant Job? And he said, yes, if you strike him, if you take this from him, if you do this to him, he'll curse you to your face, God. Think about that. The enemy of your souls will walk into heaven and lie to God about Job, a righteous man, what do you think he'd say to you? What do you think he'd say about you? He wants to destroy you. He wants to rob from you. He wants to steal your futures. He wants to take everything and take it from you. But what's important about this, what I found is that we all have a choice. And in this moment, David chose the future God had for him. David chose the future that God had promised him, the future that he knew was his. He was anointed. He was chosen by God. He had been, he had been protected through all these battles. But the Lord was with him, and he shook it off, and he chose to get up, and that set the trajectory of his end. The kingdom after this, it says that he went on. Uh, he, it, from this, he went back to leading the, the charges, and they took, they, took, they took many, many, many kingdoms. David, the crowns were laid on David from opposing kings. He had great riches and great wealth. Like that choice to get up out of the dirt and choose the future that God has for you was the best decision he probably ever made in light of the worst decision he ever made. And it got me wondering, as a father and as a parent, you know, like, do we ever surrender the future God has for us at the expense of our past? Do we ever sit there and hold too tightly to things that we just cannot let go of? Failures that have happened to us, around us, through us, just 
Do we hold on to the destruction of the sin in our lives and the sin around us instead of just laying it down, shaking it off, anointing ourselves, getting something to eat, and getting back on the road to where God is taking us? So I would ask you, I'd say, like, what's one of the most spiritual things that a Christian can do? And I would hear people say, pray. You can fast. You can, you can read the word of God. But I would argue that the most spiritual thing that you and I can do is exercise choice. Choice has been around since the garden. Man's choice has led to some serious issues. God's not going to make you read the Bible. He's not going to make you be like, more like him. He's not going to make you fast. He might. Don't get me wrong. God may do that, and uh, that, would be, that would be something. But uh, I don't want to bind him. But generally, he gives you choice. And you have to choose a future with God, or you have to choose pursuing Christ-likeness, or you have to choose staying put where you're at. So I want to jump ahead really quick to another example. And this is uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, Verse 19, this is Elijah and Elijah. Sounds the same, two different people. Uh, set that up. Elijah, he, uh, he, the prophet Elijah, he's, he's escaped. He was hiding in a cave. He'd messed up. He'd done some really great things. He had a Mark, Mount Carmel, excuse me, Mount Carmel showdown where he killed all these uh, prophets of Baal, called down fire from heaven, and now he's hiding in a cave because Jezebel's like, I am going to kill you for what you just did. Dude's like, I just called fire down from heaven, and I'm shaking in my boots from Jezebel. <laughs> so it doesn't, doesn't seem to connect, but that tells me that we have short-term memory loss. We forget what the power of God is like in our lives when we're scared. So when the enemy can make your problem look bigger than your God, you've got a serious problem. And he's really good at it. So in this, he escapes from Je uh, Jezebel, and he's running, and God shows up and tells him, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to anoint a couple kings. I want you to go and, and anoint your replacement, and that's Elisha. So we find Elisha. In a field. So verse 19, so he departed from there and he found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. He was with the 12. And Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, please let me kiss my mother and my father, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to them. And they arose, and they followed Elijah, and became his, uh, then he arose, and he followed Elijah, and became his servant. So, the Lord gave me this. He showed me David in the pit of despair, absolute failure. He's a mess. But you know what he did? He had an indomitable spirit. He had a spirit who believed the power of God was real. He believed in who God said he was, and he believed that he had a future that was greater than anything he'd already experienced, and it was amazing. 
So God told me in that moment, as a dad, as a father, as a member of community, and in fellowship with believers, you be good at helping other people get up when they need it. You be good at forgetting the bad and remembering the good. Now, I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear that God doesn't want you to remember the past. The whole Bible Remembering the past. He tells everybody, build rock, piles of rocks to remember that I split the sea and you, you made it away from the Egyptians. And he, he, he makes him carry ephods to remember important battles. But what God is telling me in this, what I'm telling you, is that we, as the people of God, are terrible at remembering the great things that our God has done. And we are so, so good at remembering the horrible things we've done to one another or that we've done to each other, done to ourselves, or done in our lives. God has told you that that is gone. The old man is dead. You are not who you were yesterday. You're not who you were an hour ago. The power of the living spirit of God is in you and he is changing you. He is making you new. Every single day, you are becoming more like Christ because you are submitting to the authority of the Holy Spirit, okay? So that is what I got out of David. In this one, here we have Elijah. This guy had everything, total opposite. He's like, David had everything, but Elijah, he's minding his own business. He's doing his own thing. He's got 12 yoke of oxen and a plow. And back then, that's success. The guy owned his own fields. He had everything going in his way. He didn't need anything. He was just going about his life. But you know what happens? God disrupts us. He jumps in our life, and he just wrecks things sometimes in a good way. But it seems like it's not. Like, imagine this guy. He's just sitting there. And then this dude walks by. It's kind of how guys talk, isn't it? He just walks by, throws his mantle, and just keeps going. Very little communication. It's just like, I'm going this way. Come with me if you want, right? And he tells him, he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And he's like, and he just kept going. Elijah just keeps going. And he just sits there, and he's got a split second to think about what he needs to do next. But what I think is amazing about this is here's a man who had everything. And, and he has a moment of hesitation. He's like, let me just go back and kiss my mother and father. And he's like, dude, do what you want. Go back. What have I done to you? All I offered you is the future that God told me to give you. All I offered you was everything. <laughs> because the king of heaven has picked you. He has chosen you. He has selected you. So you sit back and you do what you want to do, but I'm going. And I love that. I love the picture that a person who is obedient to God is on mission. And along the way, he is grabbing other people and he is anointing them. And he is speaking life into them. And he is passing on that God has chosen you. God has made you something you don't know it yet. But if you want it, it's this way. So here's a man who has everything. He's been blessed. He has authority and power. And what's he do? He turns back, goes home. He takes his yoke, and he builds a, builds a he, he, uh, excuse me, 
takes his yoke of oxen, he slaughters them, he feeds the whole neighborhood. You know what he did? He threw a party. He said, I've got a future with God. I've got a future. And, and you know what? You're going to enjoy this. You can have everything I got. And part of me inside of me is thinking, you fool, sell those things. Take the money. You're going to need it, man. It's a, you don't know where you're going. How many people in the Bible? Just go and I'll show you. Go and I'll show you. This dude had money. He had stuff. He could have taken it with him. He could have sold it all. But you know what he said? Nope. I'm burning it. I'm burning it all. I'm going to slaughter my oxen. I'm going to burn my yokes. And you know what? I am not going to make God my plan B. I don't need a plan B. If you have a plan B, God is not your plan A. And right there, Elijah's just like gone. And Elisha's like, hey, this is it. This is who I am. This is who he believed in that moment that God had a future for him. And he banked everything on it. And here's what's cool about that. He took his yoke and he put the meat on it and he burned it. And in my, my interpretation, he made an altar. He made an altar to God, and he took everything that God had given him and blessed him with, great or even the crap that David had. We don't know anything about Elijah before this. It just says he's the son of Shaphat. And then it, but he took everything that he had, and he threw it on that altar, and he said, I give it up to you, God. He burned it. He set his entire past on fire. And I had to ask myself, what kind of things in my life does God need to burn down and turn to ashes before I will turn and follow him the way these men did? What do I need to give up? What am I holding on to? Because in here, Elijah knew the difference about having something and something having him. And he chose the future that God had for him. And if there's anything that I want you to get out of here is, again, God has a future for you. And you don't know when he's going to come and he's going to ask you to drop everything and get busy with what he's got for you. You also do not have the luxury or the time to sit here with all the gifts and the anointings and the Holy Spirit inside of you and wallow in what you've done or what's been done to you or what you've experienced. You don't have to forget. You don't have to pretend it never happened. You don't have to be okay with it, but you do have to move on. And the Holy Spirit is doing amazing things out there right now. And he wants all of us, individuals, families, and the fellowship of believers to be fully engaged. And we are never going to be able to do that if we cannot take our past, throw it on the altar, and say, God, it's yours. The blood of Jesus Christ covers every failure everything that I've ever done that never made me measure up. Jesus Christ gave us freedom so that we could just let it all go. And I'm not telling you to just drop everything, sell your homes and run and whatever. Like, if God asks you to do that, do it. But I want you to have a spirit 
an indomitable spirit that will stand up and say, you know what? I screwed up. I'm sorry, God, but my future with God is better than anything I've had in the past. And I refuse to live in the past. I refuse to own that title. I refuse to, it, it's like, I've always said, it's like a cart, like a mining cart of death. And we just cannot let it go. We're just holding on to it. We're so afraid of moving into what God has, but we just can't let go of the things in our life that have been terrible, that have hurt. You don't have to forget it happened. You don't have to pretend it didn't happen, and you don't have to be okay with it, but you do have to move on. And I want you to have the spirit that when the Lord comes, and he will, he is coming for this place. He is breathing life into you guys every single day. And he has got a huge, huge plan for Praise Fellowship. Huge. Like, this is why I'm here. <laughs> I believe that the Lord is speaking over you that you guys have a giant, giant thing ahead of you. And you know what? We cannot be holding on to the past at the expense of our future. No longer will the people of God sit in a jail cell with a door wide open. We are not going to be captives to lies from the enemy, from hurt, from offense. We are going to move into the future that God has put before all of us. He has a hope and a future for us. You have tremendous authority in the kingdom of God. You have tremendous authority in your families. God has given you the right to rule and reign. And we have allowed the world to take that spot for so long. And it, we can't do it anymore. This is God's creation. His plan is set forth and we know how it ends. But until then, you have an obligation to rule and reign and choose the future that God has for you. I speak it over you. Every single one of you has great and mighty things ahead of you. Every one of you. There isn't one of you that is too old, too young, inexperienced, too experienced, rich, poor, tall, short. It doesn't matter. God made you specifically to be a kingdom wrecking ball. And you are going to choose either to get in line with what God has for you, or you're going to surrender that future to hold on to the past. Remember the past, but remember the right part of it. What God has done, what God has delivered you from, what God has given you and blessed you with and anointed you with and spoke over you. Remember the prophetic words given to you. Don't remember the past for the things that have hurt. And through that, I promise you, there is so much life. There's so much life. Streams of living waters will flow through you and the kingdom will be changed forever. And, and I believe this. This isn't pander. Like, this is, this is why I choose to get up and use a, a gift that God's growing in me because I believe that the kingdom of God needs to wake up. And it's no offense. It's, I'm not pull, pulling out names, but it, it, it's me. I need to wake up. I need to get serious about what we're doing. 
There is an enemy out there destroying families. Churches in America are 80% of them are experiencing decline, right? New, new thing, 80%. Everybody wants to blame it on COVID. That might be true, but I'm telling you that indomitable spirit of I will not sit in the dirt anymore. I'm going to shower off. I'm going to anoint myself, get something to eat, and I'm going to choose Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in creation over than wallowing in the past and the things that I've screwed up. You are free. You are free people. We are not slaves. The enemy is a liar and he lies and casts doubt over us. Even sitting there before I came up there, he was reminding me of the stupid things I've done my whole life. And he's just like, dude, like the enemy was lying to me right here, trying to remind me of who and what I was. But you know what? I'm convinced that's why the world hates Christians, because we can let that old man die and choose to be a new creation in Christ. But if you're doing it without God, you're not doing it. The word of God is powerful, and it it is sharp, and it is convicting. But as much has been said, I just want you to know that he loves you. He loves you. That velvet vice, it's never to break your bones. It's to light your fire. It's to call fire from heaven and believe that you have the same authority as Elijah did. You do. You can do. You can raise the dead. You can heal the sick. You can speak into people's lives. There's nothing we can't do. Jesus said so. And I trust him. Praise fellowship. You have new pastors coming in. Right? That's awesome. You have hope and a future. And, 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 and aside from that, you guys have just this amazing impact that God is going to make through you. He's going to give you vision, new vision. He is going to bring people in, and, and he's going to magnify and, and totally multiply the gifts that are in this room. Just be ready to choose the future that God has for you and never, ever surrender it at the cost of your past. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just pray over this body. God, I just declare you as the king of heaven. You are the alpha and the omega. You build your church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Lord, I ask you to speak to everybody in this room. Uh, On their drive home, tonight at dinner, wherever, right before bed, in their quiet space. And I want you to give them a glimpse. Holy Spirit, please give them a glimpse of the greatness that you've sowed inside of them. I want you to give them a glimpse of the greatness that you have for them. I want them to see it in themselves. I want them to see it in the families that they're a part of. I want them to see it in the community that you've placed them in. Lord, I speak freedom over this body. AJ said it three times. I speak healing over you. If you want healing in the name of Jesus, receive it right now in your body because he wants you made well. He's come to give you life and life abundantly, and I am not convinced that that's just in heaven. I believe that is right now. Lord Jesus, 
we just thank you that you interrupt our lives, that you just show up when we don't expect it, that you do things your way, because if you did it our way, it would just be such a mess. God, I just pray freedom over every single person in here who wrestles with their past. Freedom, that we take the lesson from it, that, that we receive it and, and we humble ourselves and we pray and we repent for the stupid things we've done, but that we don't live in it one more minute. In the name of Jesus, that old man is dead. We receive new life, new life in this body, new life in our bodies, new life in our families. And we ask you to lead us, God, to build us up. Give us a purpose and a hope. Father God, you are our only hope. I ask you, Lord, to just give this body just a tenfold growth in their authority in the kingdom. Hundredfold. Give them authority in this room. Give them authority in this community. They're such good people, God, and your heart is so for them. You are so for them. Speak their language. Love on them in a way that they just can't deny that you're with them. Lord, and I just speak to the courage that we all need to just choose a future with you. If there's any of you, it's on my heart. If there's anybody here, and never take this for granted, but if there's anybody here that isn't walking with Jesus Christ, you are doing it alone. It's hard enough doing it as a Christian with Jesus, but doing it without him is impossible. If you haven't given your heart to Jesus, I'm encouraging you right now to cross that line of faith and just tell him, Jesus, I give you my heart. It's not the only conversation you need to have with him, but it's a start. And you can meet with some of the elders or the pastors here and they'll pray with you. But I'm telling you, you have a hope. You have a future. You have an ordained purpose to be here. And you matter immensely. And the sooner you get a hold of that and you sow it in your heart and you believe it, your life is going to change. It's going to change radically. And you will experience the power of a living God. I encourage you in this body right now that if you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, that you don't wait another moment. There is no guarantee of a tomorrow. Father God, we just thank you for touching this body and being with them. We just pray protection over them, peace and provision. And we thank you for the opportunity to be together as a family and in fellowship so that we can exalt your son, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. We just thank you in Jesus' name.